Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Now, today, I'm really intrigued because I've been sort of dabbling in this space for a while. Plus, as you guys know, I have a, an extreme passion for music, and this sort of combines my uh, my multiple passions in one. So I'm really uh, grateful and happy to have uh, Mark Romero, who is a transformational sound healing expert and thought leader on the show. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. It's a, it's a mouthful. I was trying to say it right. I knew I was going to mess up transformational sound, but I, I finally got it. So, so we, we were just talking previously to starting. Uh, I, my, my interest is, like, I, I know you've done this hundreds and hundreds of times, but I really want to find out about you. Like I'm, I'm super curious what makes people, uh, what makes people do what they do and how do they, where, because there's different sort of forks in the road as we go through our journey. And sometimes we intentionally pick a road. Sometimes the universe picks the road for us or unveils that for us. So let's start first to, uh, find out where did you grow up well i'm a i'm one of those rarities a native californian you know unicorn (laughs) yeah born in born in north hollywood and and raised in tustin california so you know started up been in oc still in oc today and 
and just kind of observing the craziness, all these people from other parts of the country and world that have come to live here because of our awesome weather, I guess. So that's yeah. that's where I'm from, and that's where I grew up. You, you, you paid the sunshine tax for that. <laughs> I always talk to people about it. They're like, oh, it's so expensive. I'm like, yeah, but it's January. I'm wearing shorts, you know, so... It's your choice. It's kind of like it's kind of like oh, you want the humidity removed from the heat? Oh, well, that's extra. <laughs> exactly. I, like I said, I'm I'm from Philly, so it's funny. My my mom. I don't want to go into like too much about me because it's more about you. But there's a there's a reason why I bring this up, and it kind of relates back to music. So I grew up in Philly, and for those of you that don't know, in the summertime it's really hot and humid. So you have 90 degrees heat. 90% humidity. It's like walking outside in, into like warm milk or something. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's sticky and sticky. Or exactly, a sauna. So my mom <clears throat> said that she's allergic to air conditioning. It makes her sneeze. Okay, so as a kid, I would go to bed and I have a fan in my room that's blowing hot air in my room. I, I can never sleep. Sleep was always and still is. Sleep is a big challenge for me. Um, so I would I would have like my little cassette deck and I have my radio and I would lay there under my covers and I would start recording songs and start making my mixed tapes. And actually, after a while, I started cutting the tapes and taping them. So music was just my my way to sort of disconnect my mind from the heat and what was going on. And eventually I would fall asleep. So uh, I'm just curious, what type of childhood did you have? Well, I guess I kind of had a very kind of typical childhood, you know, growing up in suburban California, so to speak. Back then, Tustin was on the edge of like farmland and stuff. And and so, you know, very typical. But I think where it kind of took a twist and a turn in a different way you know, my, my mom and dad got divorced, and I think I was probably around 12 years old at the time. So it really kind of where life had been kind of like this picture-perfect, you know, suburban America-type experience, all of a sudden to go through that, it was like a shattering of that, you know, kind of like that, you know, fable that we all hear about. Oh, you know, and so that was when, you know, life became real. You know, it's like, oh, wow, dad's leaving, you know, and then the turmoil that took place in the house as a result of that and the shifts and the changes and the angers and the resentments and the different aspects, you know, that started coming in. I think it really, it really kind of fueled a lot of resentment on my own part and the rebellionists got turned up 10 notches and, you know, I kind of started going down some pathways, probably didn't really need to go down, but yet now looking back, I realized how, you know, all that, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have the wisdom or the experience or or the know-how from if it wasn't for that experience that really kind of set up not only myself, but our whole family off in a whole new direction. Did you live with your mom or your dad like half and half? Like how, what was the living? Uh, no, nope, lived with primarily my mom. I would see my dad like every other weekend or on the weekends and 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 that was it. And my dad was kind of like, he was a little bit like, well, first of all, he was one of those guys who, you know, got presented with that model. You know, you go to work, you you work your posterior off, you spend 12 hours a day there. So we never really had a close relationship even prior. You know, I'd see this dude out in the backyard on the weekend. Who's that back there mowing the lawn? Oh, that's your father. Oh, you know, because I'd never see him during the week. 
And so even after that separation aspect and the divorce and everything, I primarily lived with my mom. And then, um, you know, in fact, I did. I did until my last two years of high school. And then she got so tired of my shenanigans, she made me go live with my dad for my last two years of high school. The day I graduated, he said, listen, I'm an L.A. guy. I'm moving to L.A. You can come with me or you can take over the apartment. So I took over the apartment. I'm not, there was no way I was going to L.A. So been here ever since on my own, you know, out since uh, 18 years of age and never looked back. Interesting. Yeah. You know, my, my daughter, I, I'm divorced and my daughter is a product of that. And we, we have joint custody. I think it's, it's super, super important. And I, I think back in the day, you, you know, our, our parents, they were, they go to work and uh, it's all about providing for the family and being a, a latchkey kid, you know, what, what is you come home by yourself, you lock the door, you latch the door, you make your own uh, snack, you get your bike, you go out, play with your friends. When you're supposed to be home for dinner, when the light goes on on the you know, street, that, yeah, the street, the street light goes on. I, my daughter has no concept of that whatsoever driving there, driving here. So I think the, the time changes. So, and we made, we're conscious of this thing. Like we have to make sure that we still maintain the relationship, not necessarily as the, a joint family, but the relationship individually with our daughter and sort of be on the same page with that. So I definitely think that kind of relationship definitely takes a toll on, on a kid. So when you went through that, uh, I'm curious about, some of the things you said you were you were getting in trouble or or whatever. Like, what what were some of the things that you were doing to act out in a way? Well, I think there was a lot. First of all, there was a lot of anger on my part. You know, I was pissed off. I mean, what the hell? You know, what's this whole failed family thing? You know, and I think there was a lot of anger from that. And as a result, I, you know, I didn't have the best. You know, I guess all of us, to one degree or another, we haven't really been taught how to deal with anger, how to deal with your emotions and stuff, especially back in those days. So, you know, I started getting, you know, partying and hanging out with the wrong crowd and, you know, doing stuff like that and, and you know, and in my attempt to numb the pain. And so I kind of went down that path. And as I, you know, got into high school and stuff, it just kind of continued to act out and you know, like I said, hanging out with the wrong crowd, partying, doing that different thing. And really this this attempt to not feel the frustration and the anger of that. And then also, I think it also learned from just growing up stuff, you know, getting picked on. And, you know, I was kind of like this, you know, the fat, chunky kid, you know, in school, man, I could not do a pull up. I mean, I was horrible at sports. I mean, my dad and I laugh about it today. I said, Oh my God, he said, you were so bad at baseball, man. It was like painful <laughs> to go watch you play. That's because I couldn't play, man. The ball would go by and then I would swing, you know, it's like, you know, it just wasn't my forte. So, you know, there was that aspect. And I think you kind of, I, I learned that, Hey, you know what? Life is much safer behind my wall. You know, I'm going to put up this wall and build this big wall around me, you know, and uh, live the Bob Marley song, you know, smoke the joints in the morning and all that stuff and not deal with the pain of the world. And uh, it got further reinforced by the music I was listening. I was a huge Pink Floyd, the wall fan. I mean, you know, I was like, that was like the gold standard for music album back in the day. And ultimately was my inspiration to play music. 
You know, so Pink else? Floyd was the very first concert I ever went to in my life. And so I went, my dad, my dad introduced me. So my, my parents are not music people and I don't even know, maybe it's that laying in bed and listening to music. I became a big music person, but my dad did introduce me to the Beatles and Pink Floyd. And and I remember I was living in Philly and there was a stadium called JFK Stadium and it held like 120,000 people. I think Live Aid, for those of uh, of our age, will probably remember Live Aid because I talk to younger people who have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, we, I went there with my dad and his brother and my two other friends. So it was three of us. And I remember, I think they sat behind us and somebody behind my dad like uh, got sick and threw up, drank too much and... I mean, this was the greatest experience. It was sometime in the early 80s. It's after Pink Floyd got back together after Roger Waters, the first uh, tour. And, uh, you know, my first joint got passed to me around the stadium and all that stuff. So this was the first concert I ever went to in my life with my dad. And I, my dad never, ever went to another concert with me again. That was it. One and done. So he's like, it was a fun experience, but never again am I doing that. But yeah, Pink Floyd's been amazing. So... From from there, it, I, I read somewhere, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you were working with NASA too, right? So tell me your trajectory, or is that wrong? Well, I was working with a former top consultant to NASA. Okay, all right. So I got into the music and energy healing arena was from that. But my inspiration for music was seeing – I saw The Wall in concert in 1980 at the L.A. Sports Arena – it's mesmerized and like any good high school kid, what are you going to do? You're going to go home and you're going to like be like water on rock. Dad, dad, I need a guitar. I need a guitar. David Gilmer was up on top of the wall. I want to be up on top of the wall, you know, jamming out the lead during Comfortably Numb. You know, so it's like dad. Dad finally got me a guitar just to shut me up. Little Yamaha, $125 steel string guitar. Picked it up. Love it. First drum, never put it down. Even as I started getting into my career after high school, you know, music was a huge part. Not to become a rock star, not certainly not to become a sound healer. That was not part of my agenda. You know, it was something I did selfishly for me. I would have the best concerts and the safety of my bedroom at home. Imagine my hair being all long and stuff, you know, doing the gig. And, um, you know, it was something that helped me as I continued to move through my experience. Um, but like I said, it wasn't part of my, oh, I want to grow up and be a professional music artist. That was never my dream, you know, and definitely not getting involved in in doing healing and transformational work. These are things that emerged as a result of, you know, my very first album that I produced and uh, that I made and what opened up as it got connected to that guy from NASA. So what was sort of your dream and goal growing up like you're go you went to school you're done and you have a guitar what did you want to do well i think kind of following interestingly enough kind of following my dad's footsteps you know my dad had started entry level and you know got a corporate gig and worked his way up the ladder through hard work and dedication and all that stuff and got into executive management did really well and so i'm like well heck i want to you know go do that too i want to go make some money and you know, so I started in the electronics industry and started entry level, worked my way up, and I just found my place in sales, man. I was like, I could sell. I mean, it's like, oh, my God. I could never play baseball or sports when I was young, but, man, could I sell. 
And it was like exponential levels about people. All the other sales guys hated me because I made them look bad, you know? And so what do they do with every great salesman? They make them become a sales manager. That was definitely not as much fun because salesmen are, are you know, it's like glorified babysitting. And then from there, there was only a couple of rungs to go. I want to go start my own gig. I got some venture capital people behind me and formed a company. And we started doing that where I was the CEO. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like we get presented with this model. You know, you get out of school, you get a job, you work your way up the ladder, you make more money, you get some shiny bells and whistles and things like that, and then you're going to be happy, content, and fulfilled and live in freaking Shangri-La. Well, I did all that. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I got the shiny car. I got the home in Orange County, California, right? You know, and all this stuff. Why am I discontent, unfulfilled, unhappy, and unhealthy? Why do I feel like there's something missing? And at this point, uh, early in my marriage, my wife had already mastered the art of communicating without saying anything, just the look, you know? <laughs> and so I come in the doorway. There she is. She's got the look, the I'm going to hit you with some truth look. And she just said, you know what? Listen. I look in your eyes and you're dead. When are you going to have the courage to go for the dream? So for me, I've always had this passion ever since I was a young kid to get an understanding of life, how it works, how the pieces work, how does it fit? How do we create? How do we orchestrate? How do we unlock our potential? These were things that were always a passion of mine. I had some of my most passionate moments in my, quote, day job, my career, when I was coaching and mentoring people that were on my team and helping them navigate through their stuff in life, you know, that's what I really love. So I said, you know what? I want to become a motivational speaker. So I left. After that meeting in the hallway, so to speak, as much as I wanted to argue with it at first, she was right. And so I left. I said, you know what? I'm going to go for it. I got some, you know, some money in the bank, told my partners, that's it. I'm done. They gave me a year, you know, I had to finish up my contract and boom, I was out. And, you know, I was doing these speaking programs, using golf as a metaphor. And then I had this lady who was coaching me and mentoring me, helping me develop my speaking platform. And I sent her my very first full production CD that I made just for fun, just to have the experience of doing it, not to get into the music business, so to speak. And she calls me up. She goes, what the hell is this? I said, it's my music CD. She goes, you didn't tell me you played. I said, no, what does I got to do with my speaking? Everything. You're doing music and speaking keynotes. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. So she said, let's just put it on the website, see what happens. Well, nobody called me about golf events. Nobody called me about any of that stuff. They all wanted this music and speaking keynote. So I started getting hired out to do um, you know, music and speaking keynote presentations for these big association meetings, always like professional women associations. So here I am speaking and serenading a group of, you know, uh, 500 women in the room. That was an experience. And I'm like, kind of going, oh man, who would ever see this whole thing coming? And then it really shifted and changed the day that I got introduced from Doc Jones from NASA. And that's just put me off on a whole another different trajectory. What is uh, soul vibration? Well, I guess it's kind of, um, it really is your state of being. You know, everybody gets caught up in doing. I got to work hard. I got to do this. I got to do that. You're not a human doing. You are a human being, okay? 
Being is your state of being. It is your resonance. It is your frequency. Being who and what you really are, your authentic self, is really your soul vibration. It's it's showing up and being who you really are, fulfilling your purpose, being in alignment with your passion, and expressing that courageously, bravely into the world. And that's what I really call that soul vibration aspect. And I think that's an aspect on all levels. All of us are seeking to one degree or another, whether or not we use the most optimal ways to get there, but that's truly what we're all seeking. So tell me a little bit about this uh, experience you had with the the NASA uh, consultant. You're playing music, you're speaking. How how did that encounter you know, kind of manifest itself in where you are today, what you're doing. You know, it's kind of funny. My wife had a friend who owned this wellness studio and they were doing this open house. And she goes, you know, would you be open to come in and play? You know, so yeah, I'll come play. So I was playing, you know, traditional music gig. And the woman that runs the center comes up to me afterwards. She goes, I hear these tones in your music. Now I'm looking at her. I'm going, okay, this lady, she's going to get weird. It's one of those woo-woo people. You know, and she gets right up in my face and nobody can hear the tones but me. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I heard some tones too back in the 80s, listening to Pink Floyd, watching the lava lamp with my buddies. We heard some tones and she goes, no, I'm serious. Give me a CD. I know these scientists. So I give her a CD thinking maybe she won't bother me anymore. I didn't think anything more of it. And then I get a call from Doc. I call him Doc, Dr. Ronald Jones. And he said, hey, listen, we're having this meeting coming up on quantum physics and energy, consciousness, and, you know, how we can help assist in the evolution of humanity. Bring your guitar. I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. Never heard of quantum physics. Nothing. I never thought of even looking at myself as anything more than what I experienced through my senses. So I go there thinking I'm going to play music during donut time or whatever, but I am absolutely blown away by what I'm witnessing. You know, that who we see in the mirror is the tip of the iceberg of who and what we are and how things we're exposed to every day. You know, our technology, cell phones, chemicals in our air, food and water, you know, 5G, 4G, 3G, Wi-Fi, smart meters, all these different things are disrupting this energetic aspect of ourselves, causing compromised health, compromised uh, stress levels, um, you know, physical disharmony, compromised mental functioning. And they're pitching this whole thing in front of the room. And I'm like, holy cow. And halfway through, they start doing these demonstrations, how things we use every day compromise our strength. And then they go, Mark, come up here, bring your guitar. And I'm like, okay, start playing. So I'm playing. And I see people's energy shift instantly in front of my eyes with their techniques that they're using to measure strength and flexibility, endurance, coordination, and balance. I am like, I'm like, what the hell is this? I'm playing, and this, quite honestly, it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. I went home. I don't compute, flashing, you know, in my mind. And then Doc called me up a few weeks later, and he said, listen, we've done preliminary studies on your music. Your music contains frequencies that actually tune and harmonize listeners' energy fields and keeps them in a state of harmony regardless of what they're being exposed to their environment. I said, Doc, I don't understand what all this means. He said, well, what it means is we want to buy a thousand CDs from you and start selling them. I said, okay, well, that I can relate to. I'm not sure about all the other quantum physics stuff, but that's how it all started. And then from there, because I've always had this passion 
about the mysteries of life, you know, I started learning about consciousness, quantum physics, energy, studying wisdom traditions, studying uh, creativity, how we can use our imagination and emotion to impress upon formless substance, I guess as you could put it, what it is that we want to create. And so it really just ignited a whole thing. And out of that discovery, I realized that I could use music and process work to eliminate the vibrational barriers in our space that are causing so much havoc on all of us to one degree or another, but then also use the music and process work to help people move past the most powerful disruptor in the universe. And that's our own limiting thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions. The beliefs that we all have to one degree or another that we're not good enough, we don't deserve, you know, abundance, uh, uh, you know, I'm not worthy, you know, money's the root of all evil, all this stuff that we've been programmed with from day one by our parents, by the educational institutions, by the media, by our own life experiences that attempt to limit and contain this extraordinary individual that's within each and every one of us. Are you familiar with the work uh, that Dr. Joe Dispenza does with, yes. uh, uh, you know, energy, healing, etc.? cetera? Uh, so does he use music in his, uh, uh, in his process as well, or is there a different type of vibrational healing? Do you, do you know? I think he does some music. You know, it's interesting enough, I've actually worked with him. I did an event with him once, played music for him, and really got a chance to connect. And this is in his early days, you know, after What the Bleep Do We Know, before he really became big. And uh, extraordinary guy. And so I know, I think he's worked with a couple of different artists. I have not done any further work with him since then, since we met initially. Um, I'm curious about the sound and energy healing you do and the difference between that and sort of music therapy. Cause I know a lot of people do music therapy for different things. What's the, what's the difference? Okay. So music therapy, sound healing is a very, it's where you produce a certain note or tone that creates a response in the listener. So like there's all kinds of different notes and tones that are tied into sound therapy and, and um, you know, sound healing work. And because you play that tone, it creates a response. There's tuning forks that are tuned to different notes that you can put on different points of the body. And that's a very viable field of sound healing. And as I kind of found my way, you know, I, yeah, I play music and obviously I produce a various notes and tones with the guitar, but it's not the notes and tones that are creating the change. Now, I learned later this energy that was coming through my music was something that was coming through me. I mean, I had no idea. And Doc, being a former top consultant to NASA, he explained it to me like this. He said, you know what? I don't know how you figured out how to get access to this energy. He goes, it's a mystery. He said, but it's coming through you. It comes through your voice. It comes through your being. And somehow, some way, you intertwine it within the notes of your music and send it out into the world. And I'm like, oh, well, I wish I could take credit for consciously figuring that out one day. Yeah, I got this big brain. You know, no, I didn't even know it was happening. And quite honestly, I didn't even believe it at first. You know, when the music plays, this is very strong physical shift that takes place that you can, if you test for it, you can experience it. 
And I went into Doc's office and I go, Doc, I think you're full of it, man. I think you did too many of those psychedelic drugs back in the 60s. You know, I, you know I'm not buying it. And then he just laughed at me. He said, well, that might be true. He said, but that's besides the point. <laughs> He said, come here. So he had me stand on one leg, and I got one arm out this way, one arm out that way, and I'm like doing a crunch, and I'm standing. It's very unstable. So he puts his pressure on my arm and my leg. I tip right over, right, like anybody would. Then he goes, all right, get back in the position again. I get back. I'm up there again. He doesn't even freaking play the music. He just sticks the CD in my shirt, my CD. And it was like my physicality shifted. I became like this pillar of stability. I'm like going, what the heck? I'm like, okay, it's really hard for me to argue against anything that I experienced from my senses, right? As for many of us. And that day I'm kind of like, okay, something's definitely going on. And that's when I started, you know, I put together all the music I had created and started putting this music series together for music to help people to reduce stress, enhance mental performance and sleep better and meditate more efficiently. And that started off the whole journey and kind of moved me into this experience. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's Nolan voiding the effects of these vibrational barriers that have become so much of a huge part of our, our world today. And this scientist, these scientists we're convinced that this huge increase in neurological disorders, you know, look at, we got ADHD, ADD, uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, autism, all these different aspects that have grown exponentially. They were convinced it's because of what we're exposed to in our space. Our food qualities all got preservatives and chemicals and look what's in the air. And now look what's in, in electronically being beamed through our living spaces. And so he felt that this music and, and the effects that it had was uh, absolutely essential to enhance people's energy and connection and help them to reduce stress and, and enhance their own initial healing and, and to improve their connections to their intuition, their creativity, their sixth sense, and uh, access higher levels of consciousness. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with uh, sound baths, for instance, right? So... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a sciencey guy too, uh, and I do believe in energy. And I believe in a lot of different things, but I'm always trying to quantify that. Even you know, uh, Dispenza's work, always trying to see, measure, measure, measure what is actually going on. So I, I've done sound baths before, and then I've done frequency meditation work and research different types of hertz, like frequencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I don't know, 528 is this, 923, I think 28 is something to do with transforming DNA repair. I don't know. They have all these different things. So I'm trying to figure out the mechanism. And by the way, you may not know. I have no idea. uh, But is, is the mechanism for the music comes through you where there's a certain frequency and certain hertz that aligns with my vibrational energy and then does something is that is that sort of how you see it working well there's definitely a whole body around these different tunings and different frequency pitches okay like i said that fall would fall more into the traditional sound healing arena where you're spe- you're producing specific notes and to- tunings to create a response in the listener whether or not it's actually repairing DNA, I don't know. I don't think I've seen an uh, extensive scientific paper on that, but it's certainly open to the possibility. 
What's different, I think, with with what I do, and, and let me kind of explain it through a story that might bring this down to earth a little bit, or maybe not, maybe put us out into the ethers. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, okay, so I discover this energy through the music. I start down this pathway of selling music to help people to feel better, reduce stress, sleep better. And so it's funny, I, I you know, being in kind of an uptight corporate guy, recovered corporate guy, you know, I married Woo Woo. My wife has a doctorate in metaphysics. I mean, she's been treading down the path and introduced me to things, you know, years ago that I'm like, well, it's a little bit out there, you know, give her a bad time. So she calls me. She's at the park picking up the kids from school. And she said, you know what? I just got this intuitive hit <laughs> that you don't need music to do this work. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I, I want you just to send energy to my friend here at the park. I'm like, Okay, just imagine doing it. Okay. You know, at this point, I'm like, why, why argue? Just do it, right? And so I sent energy. And a mile and a half away, her friend had this physiological response. Instant increase in strength, flexibility, endurance, coordination, and balance, which is a byproduct of when your energy field is tuned. And she gets back on the phone. She goes, I knew it. She's over there testing her friend. I knew it, man. You don't need music. This is something that's coming through you. And then she goes, send energy to these crackers. So I send energy to the crackers. She always takes snacks up there for the kids. She gives a cracker to this other lady. This other lady has this physiological shift. That lady's like, poor lady's like, oh, what kind of cracker is that? I've never experienced that before. She goes, you infused energy into a cracker. I'm like, oh, at this point, I'm kind of freaking out. Okay, whatever. Let's just stick you, to the- could have You could have just infused a, a with THC or something. Like that, one <laughs> yeah, of those right? crackers. <laughs> yeah. Except back then, it was illegal, <laughs> right? You know, so- but Nobody yeah. used yeah. it when it was legal, I'm sure. It's <laughs> just, just when it became legal. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Hence, you know, the Bob Marley song- no, wasn't inspired by such things. So, um, so you know, I'm I'm like kind of going, okay, now that's interesting. And then it kind of came together one day. I was watching this video from this like scientific pocket protector guy talking about sound healing, and he said one line that made it all sense. He said, "Music is the carrier wave for intention." And I'm like going, that's powerful. Maybe I could program music with an intention and use it to help people to heal, to use it to help people to move past their blocks and their barriers. So it opened up a whole nother way to work with this energy. And so, you know, my thing is, hey, primarily music, that's my primary way of expressing my work. I do do, you know, transmissions and those other things, but it's really not something I, you know, to me, I guess it's still kind of pushing the barrier, you know, a little bit of my comfortability, so to speak. So I do primarily still today use music and guided processes and different pieces of music to help people to heal their lives and to expand their consciousness and their awareness and to ultimately enhance their ability to manifest and orchestrate the life of their dreams. Do, do you work individually like with individuals as well or is it more like in a group environment where they you come in and you have a certain um series of songs that you perform and uh, like describe an experience so i do both so primarily when i first started i was just selling i had this music series called the vibrational success series and it was just four cds and that was my that's been by far my most popular series throughout the whole time in doing this. So that's where I started. 
And then I started doing individual sessions. And so I've certainly have done a lot of individual sessions. I still do individual sessions today, but primarily expressed through the group format. So I do live things online. You know, even before COVID, I was doing live streaming on, you know, Zoom and doing these events and people would show up and I'd take them through processes with music. And so there was that aspect. And then, of course, it grew from there because everybody was online then. And um, and then I've, I've done plenty of work in person too, group format. And then I put these pro- processes into online courses and and to different things. So it's 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 definitely grown and expanded. But I do one on one individual. But I like the aspect of being able to impact more people in a in a given period of time. Group. Yeah. So you you talked a little bit about flow. I'm not sure if we talked about it now. You may have mentioned it, but I, I read in some of the research that I did. Um, so I'm extremely curious about flow. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with Stephen Kotler and uh, no, the, flow, the Flow Research Collective? So Stephen wrote a book, several books. He wrote a couple books, uh, I think, with Peter Diamandis of uh, the X Prize and Sing- Singularity. But uh, so they have this uh, Flow Research Collective. And I was uh, I took a couple of courses there. I think uh, one of them is called Zero to Dangerous. And what they're talking about is when you're in flow, all of your neurochemicals are firing. And I'm trying to say this in a way that everybody will understand, but they're they're basically firing at their uh, firing at their optimal level. And when you figure out what your individual flow is, you are in that state of you know, like uh, athletes say, I was uh, shooting baskets and it was like a swimming pool I couldn't miss from anywhere because, as you said, you're not thinking, you're not doing, you're just being. And when you are being in flow. Everything aligns really well. So you can prime yourself for flow once you understand what that is for yourself. So I, I, I'm just curious, and you may have may not know about this, but is the experience, the, are you able to sort of unlock a flow state for an individual through your music and your process? Absolutely. And it's interesting you bring that up. And it's funny because it even ties back to Dr. Joe too. So... They were doing that, as I mentioned, with the scientists who were doing this physical testing. Well, they also did brain mapping, and they had done a study of athletes in the zone, you know, that are in that zone, and their brains look a certain way. There's a harmonization that takes place between the four main frequency ranges of the brain. But we don't operate like that in our day-to-day experiences. In fact, all the stuff that we're exposed to and the quality of food and everything all negatively impact the flow within our brain. Okay, and in within our energy. So when the music plays, it actually puts the listener into a state of flow. And I never really had seen it put it the way that you just put it. And I remember showing Dr. Joe, because it was kind of cool. They said, hey, Mark, you know, Dr. Joe's coming into the airport. Is there any way you could pick him up and bring him to the gig? I went, is that like a trick question? Heck yeah, man. I grabbed my best buddy. You want to meet Dr. Joe? Yeah, let's do it. So, and we like drove the slow way there. You know, I took him through traffic and stuff just so we could literally, no pun intended, pick his brain. And we showed him the brain maps and stuff. And we had an intriguing conversation. It was really interesting. And and so there's definitely an element there. And I think maybe it kind of begs the question is, what puts us out of flow? You know, and it is all that stuff in the environment. It's kind of like a guitar. You know, I could be the best guitarist in the world. But if that thing's out of tune, am I going to make beautiful music? No. It needs to be in tune. What puts us out of tune? 
the stuff in our environment and the old limiting thoughts, beliefs, and perceptions that we all have rattling within our heads that tell us we're not good enough or, or unworthy or whatever the heck. You know, we all have them to one degree or another. And those are the things that we need to move beyond. And I think it really kind of came to a realization for me because Doc had made his transition. He got light beamed off the planet. And I remember I was kind of felt like I was out in the wilderness, not really sure what to do. And then I heard this quote that just, you know, have you ever heard a quote that just reverberates within you? You get like goosebumps in the whole shot. Sure. The quote goes, um, people think we need to seek enlightenment. No, you are enlightened. That is your natural state. What is unnatural is the state that we've been put into. We need to rise above the vibrational barriers and the limiting belief systems that are holding us in a state of unenlightenment. It's not about seeking it. It's about removing what is stopping us from being what we already are. We already are magnificent. We already are made up of the same awesome, unlimited potential substance that makes up the universe. We already are divine. It's all there within us. All we have to do is peel back the layers that are hiding the masterpiece. It's kind of like how Michelangelo revealed David. You know, He said, I didn't carve David. I just removed the pieces that were hiding the masterpiece within the block of marble. That is the perfect analogy for the game of life. That's what we're all in the process of doing, hopefully, to one degree or another, and to reveal that masterpiece that's within us. And that's kind of bring to full circle, that's what I use the music and the energy healing for, is to help people to peel back the pieces and reveal the masterpiece that's within so that they can, you know, play beautiful music throughout their lives so they can truly create, make their dreams come true and accomplish their goals and and, and do it in a way that doesn't kill them or sacrifice the family or marriages or health or, or whatever. And that's all within the realm of possibility. Yeah, and I love that analogy, and I've used that so many times to tell you know people, especially in sales. I always told people when I used to uh, consult uh, for big sales groups at one point in my life, and it was like it's not about selling, and you're you're a sales guy too. It's about removing the obstacles that people put in their own way to be able to accomplish whatever they need, as long as the product is what they need. So, along those lines, I completely agree with you, and. and and there's there's something, and especially nowadays, we have this noise, right? So there's constant noise that's going on in our heads. Some people have it more than others. So you have this uh, this voice and all that stuff. And, and we talk about meditation, right? So I've I'm, I've uh, taken like a transcendental meditation course. I do TM once in a while. I, sometimes it's it's very difficult to get through that. And meditation may not be for everyone, but if I put on music like for that to me i can i can connect to that you know music and a a joint sometimes is a a really good combination for me Uh, but that's that's kind of gets my vibrational energy in tune but I, i was just wondering in your process is there because meditation is something you've talked about before but is are you suggesting meditation uh, including music? Or are you suggesting meditation for certain people, a certain type of meditation, and then uh, music in addition to that? Like, how, what what is your process of trying to quiet this this noise, this voice in your head? Well, I, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily about quieting it, as opposed to being able to direct it in the way that you want it to go. 
most people get caught up in doubt and worry and fear, you know, and they focus their thoughts upon that. And they get caught up in that. It it brings down their energy. There's a physical, physiological response that takes place as as opposed to that. But meditation builds the muscle for you to be able to focus your mind on what it is that you want to focus it upon. You know, why would we want to focus on doom and gloom and you know what happened seven when we were seven years old with our parents or what might ha- possibly happen in the future with the economy or whatever? No, your power isn't there. It's right here. And that's really where kind of meditation is this tool to be able to get you to think the thoughts that are in alignment with what it is that you want to create. So, and you're right, it is challenging. You know, it's like, do you ever get to that quiet mind spot where you're just like there and just, no, you know, the thing is the thoughts show up, you come back to the breath. Okay. And take a couple more breaths. I'm observing my breathing. Oh, more thoughts come up. Okay. Come back to the breath. And that builds this like muscle. It's kind of like doing weightlifting. And out of that discipline, you can begin to think the thoughts that are in alignment with creating a successful, fulfilling, fully expressed life, whatever that is for yourself. And there are other ways to do this. You can do breath meditation. I like to meditate with music. So we're in alignment there. All of my meditations are with music, obviously, because the music creates a response that even helps to deepen the meditation even more. And so I use a lot of music in that sense. But, you know, I also practice yoga. I practice yoga. I do a class a week with no music, which to me is very, it's um, it's like a movie meditation. And then I have other yoga classes that I do with music, but they're all meditative. And But getting out in nature can do that. You know, like you said, listening to music, uh, doing all kinds of different things to get into that space. But it's really about not necessarily quieting the mind, but it's about disciplining the mind. Because I once read this, years ago in a wisdom tradition, that the mind is the allocator of consciousness, okay? It's like the mind creates, everything's made of consciousness, according to the Vedic mystics, right? Made of energy. Quantum physics says the same thing. Everything's made of energy. The mind, our mind, what we think about and stuff, creates the mold in which consciousness fills. I love that line. So what you think about, what you focus upon, creates your experience. What you feel as a result of the visions that you're holding, your emotional response creates your life. And then meditation is just a tool to help you to discipline your mind. Yeah, and you, I, I, I love what you said. It's uh, you control the voice instead of the voice controlling you. I don't, I don't know. That's my my own interpretation of that, but definitely being in control. And, and I think it goes to... Uh, how I can kind of equate that to life. It's not being react reactive to situations, but being responsive, like allow yourself that beat. And if you practice that and meditation is definitely a great way to do that. You can control your response, whether instead of reacting to a situation, uh, it's funny, like, this probably has nothing to do with what you do, but I'm just, from a music standpoint, uh, I remember my daughter was a little, I think it was elementary school, and we were doing this project, a science project, uh, for a science fair. And she had three different, three of the same plants in three different rooms, and we put music on 
in the different rooms. And one room was like classical music and the other room I think was rock and the third room may have been like pop music. And we had to measure how the plant grows. And the one with classical music grew the most. I don't remember what the second and third place. So I, I was always curious. You have in quantum physics, you have this vibrational energy and it must be that the plants are aligning to that frequency, that tone, whatever uh, that may be, that actually they were in their happy place. Of course, you know, scientists were like, well, was it the same amount of light in the same room? Was it the same? Okay, yes, absolutely. There can be mitigating circumstance to all this stuff. But to me, I was just like, hey, look at that. It actually, there is a difference when there is a connection to energy. And I feel maybe there is something to be said for what you're saying with human beings too. If you tune into that specific energy, that specific frequency, you can grow, you know, as well. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's a great book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called Power Versus Force by Dr. David Hawkins. And he created this scale from zero to 1,000. Zero being the absolute low of lows of lows. You know, there's anger, hatred. Those were low things on the scale. And then on the high end of the scale was like, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, enlightenment, Buddha, you know, uh, compassion, these higher states of being. And then he went out and he developed a system for calibrating things. And he determined that anything below 250, I believe it was, would take energy away. And anything above would give you energy. So he calibrated different types of music. He calibrated classical music, which actually was very high on the scale over like hate-filled lyrics, um, you know, and stuff like that. So once again, it kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Music is the carrier wave for intention. So whether you're conscious of the intention you're putting into it or not, you know, if somebody's full of hate and anger and frustration and pissed off about life and they put that into their music, what are they conveying out into the world? More of the same thing. Okay. But I would imagine to say that probably a lot of classical artists probably weren't within that state of mind. You know, maybe Mozart was, I don't know. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like who knows what those guys were going through, but they produce high vibration music. And there's been a tremendous amount of study on uh, the Mozart effect and and its impact on on learning and different things. So you know, music by is a huge, powerful medium for uh, impacting the world around you. I mean, let's let's face it. So true. And and what you said about that that frequency and that that measure of that there was a you probably know this there was a study years ago uh, on a happiness study. I think the Dalai Lama wrote a, wrote a book about this too. I think it's called happiness or happy or some of that. Uh, but they they did this study of thousands of people. I think it was in France, if I'm not mistaken. And they put, you know, electrodes in people's head and they had them uh, think or, or whatever they wanted to do in that moment. And they measured those brain waves and they measured probably the expression of different uh, neurochemicals as well. But this one guy, his name is Matteau Ricard. He was a... a I may be not pronouncing his name right. He's a, a French a monk, a disciple of the Dalai Lama, and he measured this, the happiest man in the world. And they were asking him, you know, what were you doing? He's like, um, I went to a meditative state. He goes, oh, okay. Is there some sort of purpose? Like you set an intention? He goes, uh, yeah, compassion. 
that was what I was meditating. It was all about compassion. And so to what you were saying, you know, that, that frequency, that elevated frequency based on what you were connecting to instead of anger or anything of that nature, you're, you're connecting to a higher frequency emotion, which then in turn comes back and you're happy. You can, it's measurable, you know, they measure yes. the neurochemistry the of that. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, psychotropics and psychedelics and people are using different substances? Because, you know, there's, I, I've talked to some really intense meditators and they're like, hey, you know, uh, you you, uh, you access the pineal gland, you get the same kind of experience. It takes, you know, 20 years of not speaking. You just meditate every single day. So some, for some people, it's really difficult uh, to do that. So I was just wondering what your thoughts on, you know, substances to enhance that experience are. It's not been an area that I've really delved into. And I think part of it is because of my own past experience, you know, because I went through my challenges, you know, with partying and all that stuff. And there's a fine line between expanding your consciousness and covering up the pain in your life. And you have to make sure that you're not utilizing those things to cover up the pain in your life because you need to go heal and come to terms and reconcile and forgive and get that stuff out of your system because regardless of what you do, it's reverberating within you 24-7 and it's involved in creating your experience. So there's that aspect. Now, I know in like my conversations with Doc Jones, he said that you know basically we have like a freeway or a multi-lane highway coming in through the top of our head of information from the field. In fact, one day he shared with me, he asked me, he said, do you ever wonder why babies are born with their heads open? You know, because their skulls are actually open. I said, well, you know, to go through the canal. He said, well, that's part of it. Yeah, for sure. He said, but that child is downloading all this information from the field to form its muscles, its lungs, its tissues, a tremendous amount of information to get it started. It's kind of like the the first program downloaded on the computer, right? And he said, then as it reaches a certain point, the skull closes and there's still information being received, but it's not as wide open as it was. And so we have these multi-lanes of highway. Now, a lot of people are getting ayahuasca and these different things that expand the highway, and give you the ability to download more bits of information. It's kind of like in a computer having a bigger bus. You're able to convey more information. I think part of the thing where, you know, it's kind of become very trendy today to do that. And it's not been an area I've really delved into or do I feel called to dive into. Uh, maybe even a little bit weary, but I think it's because of my own past experience. Um, but I always tell people you got to be careful with your energy. Anytime that you use any type of substance, you tend to open up your field. And, you know, there's high vibe and there's low vibe in this world. We get the the world of polarities, good, evil, however you want to call it, daytime, nighttime, high tide, low tide, winter, spring, summer, fall. And when you open up your field, you can pick some of that stuff up. And so we have just to have to be a little bit careful with that. So if that's an area where you feel called to, you know, that resonates as truth for you, then go explore it. But if you do, make sure you explore it with a master, with somebody who knows what they're doing and can guide you through that whole process to make sure that you keep everything in check, you know, and that's, so that's, that's pretty much my take on it. You know, it's not something I've been called to. I know people who are involved in that and it's been part of their evolution and their process, um, you know, and I honor that. 
you know, hey, man, if it feels right and it feels true to you, go do it. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. For me, it doesn't. But yet I've, you know, I've learned about it. I've talked with people who have shared their experiences on it and the wisdom that they've downloaded as a result. But I also think we can download things without having to take any kind of agent. We don't have to go, you know, tap into the pineal and take 20 years to do it. You know, we can tap in very quickly. And I think that's part of the shift that's taking place on the planet right now. Things are so elevated and escalated. I think consciousness is really elevating and escalating very quickly. You know, more and more people are making realizations today that would have been unheard of 20 years ago. This, does that uh, include cannabis uh, as well? When I, I talk about psychotropics, I include cannabis in that kind of, is that the same, uh, are you including that in the same category or are you looking at, it, at that differently? I guess from my own past experience, I probably would not include it with a psychotropic. You know, I'm thinking of like ayahuasca or mescaline or mushrooms or whatever. You know, that to me is more of like a psychotropic, you know, a pot. I I don't know if I would really categorize in that. Obviously, it changes something. You know, I've experienced that multiple times in my past experience, you know. And even – and, you know, it's kind of like I guess – I'm probably not the best person to ask because it's like, it's like, let's say if I was a recovered alcoholic, you know, and you're asking me about different alcohols or whatever, I'm probably not going to give you the answer you want to hear. So for me, I used weed as a way to not feel my pain. So therefore it was a hindrance in my healing. And I came to a point where I had to stop, you know, and that's my experience. But, you know, I know people that, you know, have used it, use it and stuff. And hey, if it resonates with you, that's great. Just make sure you got to be very careful that you're not using it to cover up what still needs to be healed and let go of out of your field. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. because, And obviously, I'm a big advocate for cannabis and I'm a, a daily consumer and been for, for many years. It's my go-to medicine. But you're absolutely right. There, there were times in my life uh, there was actually one time in my life where um, you know, now looking back and doing my genetic tests and understanding that I have some predispositions to some depressive feelings, never really experienced that in my life until I was going through my divorce. And in doing so, I was heavily medicating uh, to sedate and to numb, as you were saying. So the intention of using cannabis and, and other things was for that reason. So I actually, the only time in my life where I took a pause from consumption of cannabis was then. Now, the good thing with cannabis is it's not like other drugs where you have permanent receptor uh, issues. There's uh, uh, It resets your receptors after a while and you sort of start from scratch. And But, uh, you know, understanding that I can use as a therapeutic agent to subsidize for my own, you know, deficiencies in uh and endogenous endocannabinoids, neurochemicals, like anandamide, et cetera. Now that I understand the mechanism, you know, I can use it with intent and purpose, as, as you were saying. And then there are studies going on with uh, psilocybin mushrooms and ketamine that's been used for many years for depression and uh, PTSD, uh, MDMA, which is uh, ecstasy. It's going under finishing their phase three clinical trial. So it's going to be pre- prescribed medicine. For certain people, <clears throat> even the jump start, right? So even though they're in a certain place and you can find some sort of 
uh, quote-unquote medication that is going to be able to jumpstart them without making permanent changes. They don't become dependent on that as this is now it's a crutch to be able to start creating their own uh, neurochemicals like serotonin. If you have deficiency in serotonin, you can take something to help you start producing your own serotonin instead of getting on an SSRI or benzodiazepine that will make those permanent changes. Maybe there's a way to kickstart that. But I completely agree with you. If you understand the intention of what you're doing for what purpose, uh, it can be an extremely therapeutic beneficial uh, you know, agent. But if you're using it to, as you said, numb, I mean, you're, you're getting into a completely different category. So yeah, and you can't, you can't really numb anything anyways. It's like you can <laughs> it's going to manifest anyway. It's going to come out. <laughs> exactly. You know, my mom always said, you know, you can sweep the stuff under the carpet, but eventually the carpet's going to burst, you know. And a lot of those things that you're talking about, PTSD and anxiety and depression, is because we have stifled the flow of our, what I would call lower density energy. You know, we imagine the old radio dials, you know, 88.5 on this end and 108.5 on this end, you know, over here is bliss, ecstasy and chocolate and all the happiness and joy in life. And then down here is sadness, frustration and anger and shame, low density energy, but it's all just energy. But we've been conditioned in the world that we live in. These are good these are bad. This is where you should be all the time. You do not ever want to go here. And I'm sorry, I think that's an incorrect assumption. The fact is, it's all just energy. Nobody like, you know, we go out, we look at the moon, it's full, and then it's a new moon, a full moon. Nobody curses at the new moon. Hey, damn you, new moon. What are you doing being new? You should be full all the time. It doesn't happen that way. You know, it's like, we live on a on a world that's polarities. You get high tide and low tide. You get new moon and full moon. You get feeling great, not feeling so hot. You know, feeling that joy and that happiness, feeling sad and frustration. The best thing that we can do is let go of our judgment because we judge this as bad. This is good. Let it go. It just is. And ultimately begin to realize that we have the ability to move our own energy. We're all doing it anyways. We're just doing it unconsciously. And the fact is that you feel sad, feel sad. Set the intention to feel it and let it go. Move through it. And that's how we free ourselves from the stuff that we've swept under the carpet in our life experience, those unresolved issues that we can begin to free ourselves from this so they no longer outpicture as the challenges in our lives. And it's just a whole nother level of empowerment. But the big step that has to happen is we have to let go of the judgment of our days and our nights. You know, it's like a double A battery. You know, it's got a positive terminal, it's got a negative terminal. That thing won't shine the light without both terminals. And the same principle applies to us. You know, they don't even put the minus on the battery anymore. It's just a plus sign. We just want the plus, the good part of life, right? No, you've got both aspects. You have to honor both. And, you know, that takes a little bit of craziness, a little bit of dedication, a little bit of willingness to deal with your your lows of lows. But when you don't allow that energy and you resist it or try to cover it up with whatever, you know, it's like then you start running into some issues because judgment, for example, creates resistance. Resistance slows the flow of energy. Everything is vibration. And if you look at vibration, like if you're in a sound studio looking at music, it has a sine wave. 
It has a peak and it has a valley. Are you going to like tell music to not vibrate below the line and not go into the... No, you need to have both to make the music. You need to have the peaks and the valleys. When you let go of your judgment, you're able to flow through it so much easier. When you're able to feel what it is that you feel in the seasons of your life, you're able to move through it. And ultimately, you want that fluctuation to look like a nice positive stock chart, continuing to move upward and upward, but yet always still going through its fluctuations. Uh, it's a it's a great visual. I can clearly see it. I'm so glad you you use that as an example. What what are your personal goals that you want to achieve? You know, I'm yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm I'm moving into a different phase of my life. I'm no longer the 23 year old punk guy, you know, and 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 it's, so I'm in a different phase of my life. I think there's a big part of me, you know, hey, I think especially when COVID came, I realized, you know, I want to do everything possible to help people wake up. You know, humanity needs to wake up, you know, to its power, to the truth of who and what we are, that we don't need some crusty, disconnected politician sitting in some office somewhere dictating our lives. No, why would you give your power away to anything outside of yourself? We need to realize that it's within us and to begin to start, you know, healing. So I want to help people to heal. I want to help people to let go of what's no longer serving them. And as a result of that, also awaken to the truth of who and what they are, reveal that masterpiece we were talking about earlier. And then the third step is to help people to manifest. We have the ability to shape and shift matter and energy. We're doing it all every day anyways. Just so many of us are being manipulated to create a world that doesn't work. I mean, what is the media? If you look at thoughts as thoughts being creative and emotions being creative, images of the mind being creative, and we have people that are engaging in media of doom, gloom, disaster, economic recession, oh my God, home price, interest rates are rising, gas prices, <laughs> you know, all the stuff, COVID, monkeypox. Yeah. I mean, let's throw some more. Oh, Putin, let's throw him in the mix too, you know? You know, that's a potpourri of just doom and gloom. Well, if you're looking at that every day, seeing that image in your mind and you're feeling the emotional response in it, you're contributing to the very thing that we don't want to experience anymore. And Doc told me this years ago. We're being manipulated to create a dysfunctional world. You know, unplug from that stuff and begin to tune into the visions that you want to create. That part of you that wants to create, not that part that's based off past um, experiences, but based off this desire of the heart to make your dreams come true, to fulfill your purpose, to express yourself. So I want to help people to do that. So and I do that through my business, you know, I, and then the other hand, I want to have optimal health and vibrancy. I want to be a good father, have great relationships, have a, you know, a deep relationship with my wife. You know, there are other aspects of my life. There's not just one string on the guitar. There are six strings. So I want to be true to all those facets, you know, my spirituality, what I do to revitalize my soul, my career, what I do to express through my music, my energy healing work, prosperity, what I open up to, what I would like to create and experience in my life. Yeah, I want to remodel the kitchen or, you know, whatever the different things are, you know, the relationships in my life, the happiness, the joy and the fulfillment that I experience. Um, these are all aspects of which I express myself through. So, you know, 
I want to really help people to embody that and ultimately help them to tune the strings of their life expression so they can bring their music forward. Because I'm convinced that if we're waiting around for some political party or some medical institution to help make the world a better place, we're going to be waiting a damn long time. We should know that by now. So it's really up to each and every one of us being true to the song that's within ourselves to reflect that out into the world. And as a result, the more of us that shine that light, it's going to change the people around you. It's going to change the world. And it's going to be the catalyst for what I see and and hope the space and want to support is this consciousness awakening where we realize just how freaking powerful we really are and that we can truly cleanse the oceans, recreate the world, not being forced by some, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to put gas tax so you can start using more green. It's never going to work. Instead, go into your creative power and start cleaning the ocean. Start cleaning your yard. Start off there. Cleaning your home. Cleaning from there. And then from there, expand outward. There's all kinds of possibilities. And I just, you know, I think that I love that aspect of realizing the human or the spiritual potential that's within each and every one of us. Yeah, I love that. That that totally resonates with me as well. Uh, Was Pink Floyd the very first concert you attended? No, I don't think so. But it was the one that really, you know, because I mentioned back in the day, you know, I was hiding behind my wall, right? You know, to me, it was like the theme song, you know? Yeah, I'm behind my wall. I got in that album. Um, I don't Do you know, remember I, what the very first one you was attended was? Concert I went to, gosh, you know, that's the only one I really remember. Um, Do you remember the very first album that you bought? Yeah, it was probably, I don't know, it might have been a Pink Floyd album. I got into Alan Parsons way back in the day, you know, some Zeppelin and stuff like that. But the very first album, I don't know. Gosh, it, you know, I can remember when I first started learning how to play on the guitar, the Eagles made easy for a guitar book. I had the book. You know, <laughs> guitar t- I got Cat Stevens' book. You know, I thought they doing Hotel cool. California. <laughs> yeah, Hotel California. You know, but even the stuff before Hotel California, you know, and that was one of the concerts I saw. But that was later. The the when they got back together and did their tour. What was the last concert you you went to? Last concert I went to uh, to see David Gilmore in concert. At was that the Greek at the Hollywood Bowl? At the Bowl, yeah. yeah. The guy who played drums on my album and helped me produce my first two albums, he was David Gilmore's drummer. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah it's a great show, he's, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, is there anything that you're listening to these days besides your, your own stuff, obviously, uh, that you think is pretty cool? Um, because I listen to a lot of um, you know, I play nylon string guitar. And there's definitely a little bit of a Spanishy influence there, jazz, and then rock too. It, it comes out. Uh, I love Jesse Cook. Jesse Cook is a phenomenal nylon string guitarist, kind of, kind of like Otmar Liebert vibes, you know. Love that. 
And then I listen to some, you know, mindfulness meditation music just to hear what they're doing, ambiance music, you know, what kind of effects are they using? What are they doing with digital delays and, and you know, extended reverbs and stuff like that? To me, I'm always kind of intrigued with that because it gives me more colors and paints and brushes that I can work within something, especially when doing some of these healing meditations and processes. It's nice to throw in some nice reverb and digital delay and effects and stuff. So it's kind of cool. I think that comes from the old Floyd, Floyd days. <laughs> yeah, sure, for sure. Um, all right, so final question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. What my room? Well, there was music posters on the wall. Zeppelin, Floyd. I put albums up. It's funny because even my daughters have done the same thing. Put albums up, you know, that were just like artwork to me, like pieces of of music and and it was probably a little bit on the messy side, you know, let's just be real. I remember my mom getting after me a lot on that, so there was always that aspect, but definitely just a lot of um musical you know posters. That was the thing, Van Halen poster and 1984 with yeah. David Lee Roth jumping up in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had those things too. Awesome, man. Uh, Mark, where, where can people contact you, find more out more about you and, and your services and what you do? Well, the website's always a great place to go, and that's markromeromusic.com. Mark with the K, R-O-M-E-R-O music.com. You can find me on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, at Mark Romero Music. So those are a couple great avenues. I always invite everybody, come to the website. There's a beautiful free track of music that you can get. It's entitled The Journey. And it's a uh, it's one of my probably one of my most popular tracks. And it's just a piece of music dedicated to your journey through life. So anytime you're feeling stressed, anytime you're feeling like burdened, you need a little bit of a, a break, an uplift. You know, download that track, play it, breathe in the notes, and you'll see, you'll experience a shift. It comes with a little companion book, so you can go to the website at markermoromusic.com and and download that free gift. And it's a great way to kind of stick your toes in to see what's possible through the music and through the energy healing work. It's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate you what you do, and this was great, man. A lot of fun. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.